Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Helen and I'm Sarah and this is the Squiggly Careers podcast a weekly podcast where Sarah and I talk about the ins outs ups and downs of work and try to give you some tools ideas for action and maybe just a bit of confidence and clarity so that you can navigate all that squiggly stuff with a little bit more control in terms of your career and if it's the first time that you have listened to the podcast we make sure that you can take all the listening and do lots with it and so we create lots of things to go alongside the podcast we've got our pod sheets which are a one-page summary of what we're going to talk about today we've got our pod notes which you'll often see at amazing if on instagram or linkedin which are sort of short swipeable summaries and then we've also got pod plus which happens almost every thursday at nine o'clock uk time which is where a community of like-minded learners come together to dive a bit deeper into what we're talking about in the episode so if any of that sounds interesting to you you can find all the links for it in the show notes or on our website at amazingif.com or just email us where we're helen and sarah at squigglycareers.com and so in today's podcast we're going to be talking about high performing teams and this is definitely a hot topic at the moment albeit I feel like it's been around for a long time there are lots of articles and books and things that you can read on high performing teams but I think often these things are cyclical a bit like fashion there are things in career development that come back and people want to spend time talking about and we've just noticed at the moment that quite a few of the learning partners that we work with are asking about high performing teams it's something that we've been thinking about and Helen remembered and then one of my friends also went through something similar in terms of some learning they did which is very much inspired by somebody called Patrick Lencioni and he wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team back in 2002 and you can watch some videos read some articles from him and people talking about his work that we will put in the show notes and it's worth spending some time with so actually it was new to me and one of the things I really liked about diving deeper into his work is that you do a lot of nodding so when he describes these five dysfunctions you're sort of thinking back to maybe the teams that have perhaps been lower performing teams that you might have been part of. And you're sort of thinking, yes, that happened. I know they seem simple, but often it's the simple things that feel really useful. So what we've done today is we're going to talk a bit about these five dysfunctions. And perhaps as you'll be listening, you'll be thinking, well, which one of those might be getting in our way at the moment? And then the thing that we've done is thought about ideas for action and tools and actually some questions that you could ask as a team if you've got that ambition to become a high-performing team. 
And as Sarah said, like how to work better in teams has been around as a topic for quite a long time. But I think in a squiggly career, it becomes even more important. You know, I think our teams are kind of becoming more agile. When I think about when I started my career, you were in a, one team for quite sure. a long time. Whereas now I feel like, you know, you have project teams, you're moving around roles more frequently. You might be moving around organizations more frequently. And so you're probably part of quite a few different teams and the team structures are quite dynamic like people are coming in and out of them all the time so the better we become at working effectively in teams and understanding what makes it functional and dysfunctional I think the more effective that we can be so I just think in squiggly careers it just becomes even more important that we have this ability to manage how we show up and how we work with different people in teams. And I do think reflecting on the highest performing teams that I think I've been part of, they are the ones where you learn the most. And I know we've talked before about, you know, you learn from mistakes and from failures and when things go wrong. But when you are in a really sort of stretchy team where it feels like there's this real ambition to perform really well and I think everybody grows individually and together, I think there's a lot of good stuff to be gained from trying out some of these ideas for action and thinking really specifically about what this might look like in your context, whether you're part of a team of two or team of three, or perhaps you're part of team of 300. I'm sure we will share our experiences, the goods (laughs) and the bads anonymously along the way in this episode. But when I do reflect on the highest performing teams that I've been in, they weren't always the easiest teams. No. And I think that's, you know, high performing doesn't always mean it's fun every day and it's easy in every moment. I think sometimes part of what makes that a high performing team is because it does come with a lot of challenge and a lot of learning in the moment and you can sort of realize that in hindsight um, we'll try to make it as good as possible in the moment for you I feel like we're saying that with definite nervous laughter one of the things I was actually reading Patrick Lencioni's book so I was reading about these dysfunctions and one of the things that he described that just really made me smile and I was like it really reassured me is that in these high performing teams people definitely like share when they get a bit stressed or they might get a bit like sweary or and I was like oh that's what happens to Helen and I <laughs> that is true we do get really sweary like, we do we would never swear on the podcast funnily enough I would never I just don't think we would partly because my mum listens <laughs> I was like oh does that mean that you're not a high performing team if you sort of get a bit antsy or a bit agitated but to your point he says you always see that in high performing teams because actually there's high care and there's high challenge And so at moments, it does feel difficult knowing that that's okay. So I was taking that as it's all right. There's sometimes not to other people, but you and I get a bit sweary to each other. Also, I was just thinking about whether there's a sixth element of the five dysfunctions of a team, which is to think about having two co-founders who don't always agree with each other. Can you imagine? That might be in the next edition of the book. Maybe we'll end up as a case study when we have like a massive falling out. Let's not aim for that. It's probably not our ambition. So we're going to talk through each dysfunction pretty briefly because we think you'll all get your heads around that pretty quickly. We're going to describe what the alternative is. So what are we aiming for? What does success look like? Include a question to ask each other. I do think these are more powerful and we've written these really to be asked across a team. And then an action for each of these areas. So we're going to start off with dysfunction number one, absence of trust. And each of these dysfunctions are not distinct. So they are all interdependent, but certainly from the work that Lencioni has done, he argues that sort of if you don't have this one, you're in a whole world of pain, essentially. We've talked before on the podcast about high trust teams. We've heard Amy Edmondson talk about psychological safety. So we know that this looks like people holding grudges, not asking for help, hiding mistakes or weaknesses. Even, this one actually made me laugh, 
especially as an introvert, because I was like, oh, I think I just do this naturally. Find ways to avoid spending time together. And um, I was like, can oh, I just hold that's up? That's just like my personality. <laughs> I was about to say a statement that you said to me last week. So we are having a squiggly oh, no. staycation this week, everybody, <laughs> which is where once a year we take the team away and spend some time <laughs> you together. You definitely should share this story. <laughs> I'm definitely sharing this story. And so everyone's got like their own room. But Sarah and I, for years, for years, I think you've harboured this issue. We normally share a room because it kind of cuts costs also we've known each other for a very long time it's fine and we were talking about allocation and who's going in where there was an opportunity for like one person to stay in one building on their own and I was thinking well who would want that they're gonna be like really like lonely and okay well maybe Sarah and I'll just be in there and Sarah basically said oh if there's a chance for just to be on my own without you I'm up for that and I was like that's so mean I wanted to be with you and you just dumped me find ways to avoid spending time together absence of trust dysfunction number one Sarah <laughs> Oh, it's all going to fall apart. I was just talking about, you know, I like to re-energise by myself. I was sure, like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay. What's the let's, alternative? Let's do the alternative before we actually do disintegrate on air. So the alternative, a high trust team, one where there's no judgment, we're not sort of punishing each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, not judging me for wanting to be by myself. And I think we know that a high trust team is one where people feel comfortable to be themselves. Slightly different to bringing your whole self to work. I think that sort of feels like, well, we shouldn't expect anyone to bring all of themselves to work all of the time because work is its own context. But I think we all know that sense of belonging, that there's not the pressure to fit in or to feel like you're wearing a mask. Because when we have to do that, it drains us and it takes away our trust. And so a question to ask each other, if you're going to explore this particular area, is how do I help this team to succeed and how could I hinder the team? And I think this is, again, a self-reflection to begin with, but also a really useful thing to share with the team to see have they got any additional insights that you could benefit from. So, for example, I'll say this, Sarah, and you can let me know if you agree or if you could spot any other things that I might do to help or hinder the team. Um, so I thought... How long I... have we got for the podcast? Uh... All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> We're in good form, everybody. Fine. <laughs> so I thought I help the team succeed when I communicate with clarity and create positivity. And I thought I hinder the team when I don't share difficult messages because I probably over positize them maybe then that's a word but you Good get word. It. Um, communicate with clarity <laughs> um, or I become a bit of a bottleneck for progress that was mine any thoughts yes that sounds accurate well there we go good self-awareness Helen yeah <laughs> I think actually saying this out loud in a room to each other is really useful that's why I think you get the trust you're not really going to create trust just doing this for yourself but if you let people know this is the exercise and then do this together I don't think it has to be super deep and meaningful I think you just have to hear everyone talk about it so mine would be, I help this team to succeed when I create new ideas that will support people in their careers and spot how we can be even better. I hinder this team by not always acknowledging and appreciating people enough and overwhelm people with my questions. <laughs> hmm. I agree with the first bit. I don't know if the second bit is true. I mean, I literally see it happening. <laughs> Well, not, not the acknowledgement. Yeah, well, question, it's, it's, question, question, question. It's, it's one of the things. It's not the... <laughs> one of the... You're like, oh, it's not the one I'd have at the top I wouldn't, of the I wouldn't, list. I don't uh... think you don't acknowledge and appreciate people enough at all. I think you're very thoughtful with your appreciation. I think I sometimes get a bit worried that I think it and don't say it. And because I I'm think, so critical... I think you critical, show it. Do I? Okay, well, that's good then. No, there you no. go, you see? Good conversation to have. But I think I could probably do it even more. 
And so the action here comes from a Harvard Business Review article that I also read on high-performing teams that specifically looks at some more recent research so from the past couple of years of the pandemic around relatedness. So relatedness essentially means connection. In a high-performing team, you have high levels of connection. And they really looked at who managed to stay high-performing as a team during the pandemic. Like, what did they start doing more of? What did they do well? What have they kept doing post the pandemic? It's a really good article, actually. It specifically focuses on connection, but it's worth a read. And they talk about the power of the five-minute phone call. I think they actually just call it phone call. I think I might have added in the five minutes. (laughs) So, like, don't talk for too long. Yeah. Initially, I was like, I don't know if I want to even put this action in. I don't like speaking on the phone. But then what it shows is that high-performing teams are very good at picking up the phone because they get that sometimes it's quicker, it's more efficient, you fix stuff fast, but also you just create that bit of connection and clarity by going, should we just pick up the phone rather than sending, you know, 10 Teams messages, 15 Slack messages, loads of WhatsApps. And then I sort of stopped to challenge myself a bit. And I can see a couple of people in our team who are very good at this and who force me to get on the phone. They'll be like, Sarah, can I just call you? And I'll think, not really. Like... (laughs) because I'm definitely more comfortable and more in my comfort zone by myself. And actually, I don't love being interrupted, you know, in that way. I'm I'm sort of quite like focused, but I think it does. I sort of agree that it does create connection. It does create trust. And actually, I I feel like it is the right thing to do in those moments. It's just one of those things that sort of it's harder for me. And I just thought, oh, it's really interesting that kind of the research backs that up. And it probably acted as a reminder to me to sort of go, oh, sorry, even though it might not be your default, it actually has quite a lot of good stuff and it's quite an easy thing that everybody could do mm-hmm. what about you Helen I bet you like being on the phone right I mean it could just be a team's call as well like where you can just chat something through I think the opportunity to get off email and off whatever form of instant message you use and go shall we just like chat sort about it. it quickly yeah. yeah and I had an example someone in our team today we were trying to sort something out basically so we just get Louise on the call yeah. and I was like oh yeah actually that's a really good idea and all of a sudden you've got a bit of connection you've also sorted it out a lot faster in the moment and I think knowing that you can do that as a team is really powerful and this is really for each of these we're only kind of getting started we're giving you sort of a catalyst to continue just wanted to quickly point you to some other things in this area if you're kind of going I am starting from trust that feels like the most important one in our team Maybe have a listening to our episode where we talked about team building exercises because there's loads of really easy, quick, simple ideas that don't feel too intimidating. And even if you've got people who you like, they hate team away days, I swear there'd be something in there that you could have a go at. There's lots of free resources on our toolkit on our website, which is just amazingif.com. If you just go to the free Squiggly Careers Toolkit, things like more about me, things that people could fill out and share. And we have got a new episode coming out in a couple of weeks time with Amy Edmondson, where she talks about sort of trust and failure and mistakes. So the reason we've not talked about that today, which all kind of goes in this category, is that's coming in a couple of weeks time. So if this is the one you want to dive deeper into, there's sort of a mini extra playlist for you. And maybe what we'll try and do once that episode has come out is package all this for people so it's useful. And then we'll post about it on social media so that you've got it all in one place. Dysfunction number two, then, is about a fear of conflict. And this looks like teams sort of agreeing all the time. No bad news. Everything's amazing. No disagreement. Everyone's right. And we all think the same. And on the surface, that can all look brilliant. But in the reality, it probably means that lots of difficult things aren't being discussed because people don't feel confident enough to have the conversation. And the alternative that we are looking for here is a team that is better because 
different people bring different perspectives to the conversations. And then as a result, we get better outcomes and people feel more included. And there was a particular sentence that really stood out for me when I was sort of researching around these dysfunctions. And it's very rare that I get excited about a sentence, but I was like, Oh, yes, because I bet lots of people will recognize this. One of the things that Lencioni says is that we have got to learn to resist the law of consensus and certainty because it actually gets in the way in, in all sorts of ways. When I read that, I was like, with the people that I've worked with and for myself, I don't think you necessarily always have both, but I think there's one of those that we are often really attracted to. So I'm really attracted to consensus because I've got a gremlin around conflict and I find disagreement difficult and then I thought about Helen I was like oh but Helen doesn't have that I was like oh yeah but she does really like certainty I like to move it forward so I like to make a decision stick with it and move it forward (laughs) yeah so part of the kind of conflict getting comfortable with it is also you know the sitting with the uncomfortableness of messiness and uncertainty knowing that those conversations can feel hard and also that being okay and I was thinking back to a conversation Helen and I had a couple of weeks ago and I came away from it going, that felt absolutely awful. <laughs> and I felt absolutely awful. <laughs> and, you know, for equally, I think what was different versus if we'd have had the same conversation a couple of years ago, I sort of had labelled it as, oh, well, that was uncomfortable and useful. And that's very different too. that's uncomfortable. I'm not sure I want to be doing this or I blame myself or I blame someone else. Or I think previously I would have sort of spiralled in a very different direction and that was because it was disagreement or certainly I felt like it was Helen I was mean like, you're gonna have to tell me no, after this you probably can't say on the recording but I need to know you'll be able to get so this is the point because I feel those things so keenly but I just keep saying to myself now uncomfortable equals useful because of how I feel and I was like oh that felt like a massive move forward for me but I was also spotting it's only ever Helen and I in our team where I have those kinds of conversations. And I was like, that must exist. Other people must disagree with me or have a different point of view. So how do you kind of create that context so where that can happen easily, given lots of us, I think, are drawn to either the certainty or the consensus or maybe even the double? So the question to ask each other is, what stops us from challenging each other? And again, I think you just want to leave that as open as it might sound, because I think if you try to constrain it, you're already limiting what that conversation could look like. So just try to sit with, even me, I want to be like, oh, it could be this, it could be that. But I think try to sit with the uncertainty of not knowing what someone's answer to that question might be. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Sarah, what stops you and me challenging each other? <laughs> I just work it out with how honest to be. Um, sometimes I think I can't be bothered. <laughs> That's the first thing that came in my head then. I just thought... Do you know what my first reaction was? 22 years of friendship. I mean, great to know we're starting in very different places with our responses it's to that. It's the fact I find it hard. And I sometimes just think, oh, do you know what? The context of everything that's happening and you're trying to really complain and all those things. I just think... Yeah, sure. Just move on or just let it go or whatever it might be. So I, I can't think, decide I think... whether I love you a little bit more or a little bit less. I don't know. I'm just going to have to sit with it. <laughs> you say the friendship thing now because that sounds more positive. <laughs> oh, so oh, what was dear. your one? The friendship stops you. you. The fr- oh, the right. 20 oh, years of friendship. Of yeah, oh, right, yeah. Okay. And I'm like, oh, actually, is it worth us having an argument about this if it could affect our friendship? And most of the time oh, right. the answer is no. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That was yeah, the next great. point. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Talk about the idea for action. (laughs) The idea for action, everybody here, is to name the knots. And this is actually something that we have been talking about together and we are now going to do as a team. Knots are the things that are not going well, kind of not going to plan or not going the way that you want it to. And what happens, I think, when you start to notice the knots is you realise quite a lot of them are going on. And the idea with naming the knots is once you can become a bit more conscious of what is not working the way you want it to, and you can talk about it together as a team, it kind of just becomes easier to discuss the difficult stuff. Because a lot of the time, people know what's not working very well but they haven't either been giving a language or the confidence to talk about it and by kind of having these naming the not meetings or conversations you create the place for that conversation to happen and you give it a language that just makes it all feel a bit easier also you might notice that some people have got the same knot and in which case it's probably a bigger problem than people appreciate because they haven't been talking about it, they've not connected the knots. But that's the bit that will help you prioritise what needs to be solved first. And one of the things that I really like about this idea is it connects to something I was talking to a leader about last week, where they said, for years, we've been encouraged to not share problems, share solutions. You know, like I was like, oh, yeah, you know, you'd always say that, don't you, to like team, you kind of hear that phrase, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. This person was saying to me, he's like, no, no, it's like, okay, to sometimes just bring me problems. Because you know, this sort of expectation of like, you must have solved it all yourself. And this is where you get to some of these actions, I think help with more than one of these areas. And this definitely helps with the next one that we're going to talk about as well, is you know, the sort of freedom to be able to talk about a knot without having untangled it all yourself. And actually, Helen and I realised this, we were chatting last week. And we were saying we sort of created this expectation, I think, on ourselves that we feel like, we should be entangling all the knots. And then you sort of get to, well, we might not be the best people to entangle these knots. We're probably missing out on ideas and insights by feeling like that it all has to kind of sit with us. And so I think that that's the kind of added benefit of this. It's interesting, I think, when you give people permission to name knots 
And actually, I think if I was doing this, and I think when we do this, being really explicit about you don't need to come having solved the knot, you just need to be able to name it. And there were some really interesting insights from Esther Perel, who's brilliant, particularly on conflict at the moment. I think she's launching a new course on conflict. So she's done a lot of research on it. There's a great post that she's done, sort of, I think, a part of her newsletter on how conflict avoidant we're all becoming and what we can do about it. So I've got the link to that. I had a read of that yesterday and it's, it's a really good read. Her newsletter generally is very good. She's very thoughtful. She's done lots of research. She talks about conflict in lots of different parts of our life. And if this is something that is a really big barrier for you, that program might be something that you want to explore a bit further. So dysfunction number three is lack of commitment. This looks like you don't have commitment across a team. And maybe if you're a leader, it might be because you're trying to do it all yourself. And so no one really has any ownership, maybe other than you, which can feel really frustrating. Also, when you don't have commitment, you might miss the moment or you might gather data for too long without making decisions or you have repeated discussions. This one as well really sort of hit home sometimes, you know, when you're like, oh, we're talking about this again. We actually previously have had a sort of bit of a phrase that we're not using as much now, but we used to talk about what are our reoccurring red flags? You know, when you're like, we are having another chat about dot, dot, dot. And you're like, oh, okay, that's often because we've not created the commitment to sort it. it, just hasn't moved any further forward. And I think that's always really interesting to look for. Like, you know, like when are we going around in circles, essentially? So what are we looking for is the alternative. I think the headline here is involve, don't solve. So even if people don't agree with the decision that's made, if they have been part of the decision-making process, they are much more likely to get on board. So this, as we said, sort of links to the previous one. If you've got a knot and you've all worked on it together, you might still have different points of view about the best way to fix it. You know, like the you've seen the workings, you've seen how that process has happened rather than just being told, this is now what we're going to do. So I think that's the thing to think about. Does everybody feel like they are all committed to what your team's trying to do, where your team's trying to go. And the question to ask each other to kind of start exploring this area is when do we need to make this decision by so we don't lose momentum? Because I think when there's a lack of commitment, to Sarah's point, you can start to circle a situation and it feels like it just gets stuck, you don't really move forward. So I think having that kind of decision date in mind helps keep the team focused. And then once you've got that focus, what we then need to do is to create the commitment. And the idea for action to create the commitment is to connect people's to-do list with the whys behind their work. So when Sarah and I were talking about this idea for action, I was just, I've got this list in front of me. And the title of the list is must do. And there are nine <laughs> things on this list that I look at and I think, well, they kind of all seem equally important. And I've no idea which one of these I must do or is the right one to do first. So I was like, well, I know these are important. I honestly haven't got a lot of commitment to them. Like they're things that I know need to be done, but I can't say that I'm committed to one over another. And we were thinking, well, what really helps you to create commitment. And we think there are three things that increase your commitment to an action or a project or an outcome, whatever it is. The first is knowing why this matters to me. So kind of connecting with it personally. The second is why this matters to my team. So what does the difference this make to the people that I kind of work with on a day-to-day basis? And then the third is why does this matter to my organization? And if you can look at the things that are on your list, and we've all got long lists of things to be done, and you can pick out things that clearly matter to you, 
and that matter to your team and that matter to your organization, then actually not only do you create commitment, because suddenly that is not just another thing on your to-do list, that is something that's very important to get done, but also I think you connect with it emotionally as well. So it helps to prioritize and create that kind of emotional commitment to it. And we talked about how our sort of hypothesis, having only just sort of developed this thought, is that this becomes even more powerful when you do this together. So actually, perhaps this would be something that'd be really useful in a one-to-one conversation, because together you can create commitment. And also, we always know there's quite a lot of power in saying things out loud, you know, which helps with one of the things that we're going to talk about next. So actually, when Helen showed me that list, and then we started to do those whys together, I might say, oh... I've got a different point of view on why this matters to the team because you might have said oh I don't think that matters to the team and I'd be like oh I think that really matters and this is why and you're like oh, okay well that's a different perspective maybe that bumps something further up the list than we'd imagined I wonder if that could be quite a good conversation like particularly one-to-one so dysfunction number four is avoidance of accountability and so this looks like actions not getting done or not getting completed on time blame culture resenting each other for having different standards of performance I was like, oh, that sounds really dramatic. Relying on your leader to call out mistakes or give feedback or manage performance. So this is sort of where people's accountability almost gets delegated to the person leading the team rather than having individual and also cross-functional accountability. One of the things that Lencioni is really clear about when you read about this area is this is not about everybody just having more individual accountability. There's a really big part in sort of peer-to-peer in like cross-team accountability. So the alternative here is no say, do gap. So you do what you say you're going to do. It's not about top level. It's like sort of everybody is accountable. And so I I sort of described this um, in the end when I was sort of summarising this to myself as like levelless accountability. And actually for both behaviours and actions, almost if somebody isn't behaving in a way that's consistent with, I don't know, what you say you're going to do as a team or how you say you're going to show up as a team, that feels unacceptable. People are held to accounts, which I think does sound quite hardcore, but that's essentially what we're getting to. And if actions don't happen, again, there's the sense of, okay, but we should have shared that responsibility together. Because again, you've got to be careful. What you're not trying to do here is get into like blame or punishment, because very hard to have high trust and blame and punishment. So I think this is one where anytime anyone writes about accountability, it always gets lots of interest because it is a hard one to get right. And we were sort of reflecting on this again with our team. We were thinking, what was the question that we could ask that would help us? And the one that we thought would be useful is, how can we share actions and status so everyone's up to date without having to ask? We know that's quite a long question, but the reason that we think it's important is when there is like an avoidance of accountability or just a lack of accountability, because that sounds so harsh, doesn't it? Avoidance, I'm actively avoiding doing something that I said I'm going to do. But the issue is you feel like you have to check up on people quite a lot. Like, oh, did you take that action? And are you going to get it done by that date? And that kind of sort of duplicates a lot of work and effort and probably makes someone feel like you are checking up on them or maybe micromanaging them, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't help a high-performing team if that's the behaviours that's going on. And so what we think is useful is if there's a bit more transparency around who is working on what and when that work is getting done. And if the team can see that in sort of one place and in kind of one way so that's something they're familiar with it means that a lot of those questions don't have to be asked because everyone can see the status of things and yes you might have some meetings where you review it collectively but having that in one place really helps so how can we share actions and status so that everyone's up to date without having to ask 
So our action here is to design rewards based on team rather than individual performance. I saw a great post from Corporate Rebels about this, where they had basically chosen milestones that matter in their company's growth. It could be, didn't always have to be commercial, but some of them were commercial, that everybody collectively was going to be working towards. But then as a team, they sort of chose the rewards and what those things would look like. And they'd sort of designed the reward system. Now, I know, I think in a smaller company, that feels easier to do for a whole company. But I was thinking about this and I was thinking even back in my kind of big company days, I think you can do this in small ways. So there are usually still like small things like, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to go out for some food together? Do we want to go and do a cooking class together? That's what Helen's making our team do this week. Do we want to do some learning together? Like what would feel really motivating? And again, going back to connecting the dots, you're involving people. So rather than going, oh, we're going to redesign rewards and we're going to tell you what that is, you're actually going, well, team, you're very clearly signaling team is more important than individual, but you tell us, let's together decide what that could look like. That feels to me like a really interesting one to experiment with. And it could just be a time-based reward as well. You know, like, do we want to take the mm. afternoon off on a Friday? I'm conscious that not all teams have budgets, particularly, I think, at the moment, it can be quite hard on lots of teams. So. That's one of the ones I saw, actually. Um, when I was reading this yesterday, it was taking a day off. So mm-hmm. some teams chose time back. Some people chose, like, oh, an extra day for learning. So actually, a lot of them weren't to do with sort of spending money necessarily. Mm. So the final dysfunction that we wanted to focus on is an inattention to results. And this one looks like where you get distracted by work that isn't a priority, you know, the sort of urgent, not important stuff that sort of dominates your days. And you end up not being focused on the outcomes. So like the bigger things that move the team forward. And also you're not pulling together to succeed. So maybe it's a lot of individually very busy people, but not a team that sort of together are making a bigger difference. And so what we're trying to do as an alternative here is make us a team that puts the sort of team goals ahead of the individual's needs. Easier said than done, perhaps, but that's ultimately the better outcome where we're sort of taking a team first approach to our work and then the individual actions follow, but we're all really clear on what does us being a good team achieving good results look like. And the question to ask ourselves here is when a result is at risk, what do we do? And again, this comes from, I guess, some of our own reflections that sometimes results are at risk and for various reasons they don't get called out, either because people haven't appreciated the importance of them or maybe perhaps you've not created the trust where people feel they can kind of raise it as an issue. But I think as a team, you do need to talk about, A, what are the results we're going after together and B, when a result is a risk, what are we going to do? And so our idea for action here, which we've just started experimenting with probably in the last month or so, and certainly in pockets, we're seeing it work well. So jury's out on whether it will last or not. But we're doing something called fast flagging. So fast flag and team follow up. This is our attempt at what do we do when a result is at risk? We do a fast flag. So don't wait. Don't hope it's going to resolve itself. Those things just never happen. Flag to one other person to a group of other people and then make the point that actually as a team you want to resolve the risk it doesn't always have to sit and fall with that one person and actually we were saying I even had an example of that first thing today where we'd got somebody a freelancer for a day they needed access to something to be able to do some animation and I couldn't make that happen because I wasn't physically at my laptop but the result was at risk because you're like you're paying for that person for the day and it's important for our company and for the companies that we work with so I did a really fast flag basically to everybody 
and a really quick team follow-up like how do we kind of make this happen like who can help how can we make sure that this result is at risk because otherwise it'll cost us money it'll cost us time there's sort of a urgency in fast flagging I think and just this sense of just because you're the person doing the fast flag you don't have to be the follow-up you don't always have to be the person sorting it what's really nice about this as well is you start to spot well who can help who and actually if no one can help actually that's also really useful to know better to know than to not know because somewhere then you've created either a bottleneck or you know there's sort of only one person who knows how that process works it's sort of the thing that happens sometimes when someone goes on holiday but if we're trying to aim here for the whole being bigger than the sum of the parts I think you have to be able to pull together when results are at risk particularly ones that have big consequences for commercials or your growth I think my caveat here is linked to that last point, the particularly ones that Sarah talked about. I think with fast flags, it cannot be an excuse for an individual making their urgent, everyone else's important. Yeah. So like, oh, well, I need to get this done today. So can you just do this? Can you do this? Like that is ineffective. I think fast flagging is most useful for those team priorities. Mm. Like if you have got a team project or priority that is at risk, then I think a fast flag is really important. If you're just not consistently not able to do something, you know, you're committed to, that's an individual issue. So just be aware of that kind of making your urgent, everyone else is important because then that just derails the team anyway. And I think the more time I've spent with this, and then Helen and I have talked about this preparing for today, you really realise there is no point where, unfortunately, you get a ta-da, here's your medal for becoming a high-performing team, which is a bit annoying because like, he doesn't like a medal <laughs> or a trophy. I would it. actually love it. I would look. My six-year-old also really loves a trophy. Where does he get that from? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> Who know, I don't know. Who knows? So I think that's important to sort of know. There is no, like, you've done this, you can tick this off your to-do list. But I do think it is useful to think about, well, how are you going to measure how far you've come? You know, because we're not always brilliant at giving ourselves credit for things. And so actually, as I was going through this, and you can't help but put your own filter on it, I was thinking, okay, well, as a team, there are in each of these areas, I can see some things that we do that are good, that are working well, that do support our growth. And it is so natural to look at the gaps that you've got first. But I think it's actually helpful to do the reverse. Firstly, look at what do we already do that's really helping us be a good performing, a very good performing team? Okay, well, let's keep doing those. Let's call those things out so people know that they're really important. Okay, now what gaps have we got? And what are we going to experiment with? What are we going to try out to see if we can sort of raise our performance even further? But I do think having some just like press pause moments along the way as well to go, well, how are we performing? How is it feeling? How far have we come? also feels like an important part of this process and that's focused on a little bit less actually but I think performance sort of helps you to perform even better and so I think just making sure you sort of factor those things in feels like it matters and if you want to turn this into a team exercise I would suggest either giving people the link to this episode or giving them the link to the pod sheet before a meeting on it so they've got a little bit of time to think about you know what do we do well where have we got some gaps I think you'll get a better conversation in the moment Mm. whether you do it virtually or in person but I'd sort of use the resources to support the team conversation So we hope this has been useful and we hope it does help you to continue to develop your high performance individually and together. That's everything that we've got for this week. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now. Bye everyone. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.